back, everybody. My name is Nick Kush. Uh, we are doing a little fun thing here on the Movie Babble podcast this time around, where uh, we are covering the Fantasia Film Festival, and I'm here with my good buddy, Sean Coates. How you doing, man? G'day, g'day. How are you going? I, as, as, as I'm Australian, I have to emphasize my Australianness as much as I possibly can, especially <laughs> for your podcast feed. And also, I know even though guys like Blake and James and Kyle have joined the Movie Babble staff, I am the unofficial and self-appointed Australian correspondent of Movie Babble, and thank you to Fantasia for actually allowing international press to cover this festival. One of the high, one of the uh, the the up, what, what's the word I'm looking for? One of the upsides of an of, an, of a virtual festival. Yeah, you are my unofficial slash official Australian correspondent. <laughs> I give you that credit as well. Um, yeah, that's kind of that is interesting because. It is one of those things where we're all like locked down and everything like that. And one of the few things I guess that is a positive in all of this is that we do have the chance to cover the Fantasia Film Festival for, for a change and not have to be on in person and all these screenings, which um, is really cool. Cause I know we have, we both saw a lot of really interesting films through all of this. Yeah, exactly. And the same thing happened in my, in my lovely city of Melbourne, the same thing happened here for the Melbourne International Film Festival, which we did cover on the site as well, but like, Having, especially Melbourne for uh, international and mostly American listeners that don't know, uh, my city of Melbourne uh, and the state of Victoria actually here in Australia have been under a six week uh, lockdown of stage four. So it's basically we can't leave five kilometers from our house. We can only go outside for four reasons, which is exercise, going to the supermarket, like literally everything except the supermarket are closed right now, pretty much. And yeah, and we're four weeks into that, and uh, but things are starting to go down. Our cases have gone down dramatically, and yeah, things are good. But not going to MIF this year really did hurt. But then getting to cover it for the site was pretty was was a cons- consolation there. And but now we get to cover Fantasia, and we saw some really really cool films. Uh, I saw ten. Nick, how many did you watch? I ended up watching six, and I'm also just really jealous of the fact that you guys are doing smart things about the virus. But that's just an entirely different podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I saw six films. I'm hoping to see a few more before the festival ends on the second, and hopefully we'll get this podcast up before the festival ends. But um, yeah, uh, with Fantasia, I mean, this is my first experience with the festival, but um, you always hear there's just a lot of really interesting films to watch, a lot of different things, a lot of very, things that are very off the wall. Um, and I feel like I definitely got that experience and I feel like you did as well. Yeah, I think this, it, 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 Fantasia occupies this very strange space, I think, within, and like most genre festivals do, where the films are either very specific or just completely like undescribable. Like that's yeah. how I feel like with most festivals, like a lot of the films we'll talk about today, they're like, oh, you expect that from a genre festival, but then there's other films where you're like, what the hell is this? I don't know <laughs> what it is, but I'm intrigued. And then you watch it and you're like, I don't really know what happened, but I think I loved it. Yeah, definitely. There's a few where it was like, there's, we'll get into it in a second where there was one this, where this backfired on me, but I looked at the, at the <laughs> title, I looked at the title of the movie and I was like, this sounds interesting and it wasn't. <laughs> so we'll get into that. But uh, to break all this down for you, we have a few uh, categories that we're going to go through here uh, to cover, just to break down some of the films that we watched and make it a little fun. So the first category we have here is the worst film we're going to get this out of the way uh so sean what was the worst or some of the f- worst films that you saw at well i think I, I was pretty lucky or like had the foresight with my selections to pick movies that i thought would at least be interesting like i think a lot of all the films i watched even the quote worst films that i watched i wouldn't necessarily call bad i would just say 
that they were just like miss uh, unfortunate like misfires for some of them like f- first of all um crazy samurai masashi which i have a review for up on the site um it's about miyamoto masashi who is like this legendary japanese philosopher and swordsman like he was in over 60 duels in his life in the early edo period in japan and this film is like not sort of just like a hey hagiographic retelling of his uh of like his story that you've seen in like many other films like you know like the his story has basically been the basis for many many samurai films especially from a a samurai film a samurai film trilogy actually in the 1950s where the legendary Toshiro Mifune uh played Musashi but this film uh is definitely more action oriented and uh because the whole film uh not the whole film sorry but there is a 77 minute uh single take where it's it's where it's just Musashi just one by one hacking and slashing his way through a bunch of faceless. I think it's I think that the total number is five hundred and eighty eight, but the marketing is selling it short by saying it's only four hundred, which is weird. But, <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah, it's a great idea on paper and actually really quite ambitious. Only problem is, after maybe ten minutes or so, it gets really repetitive and uh, quite tiresome. Unfortunately, like it does like. It, especially when it's like in these really open fields and like it's, I mean, it's a traditional samurai fighting style. It's very based in honor and they, especially when they only attack one by one, it gets, uh, yeah. Yeah. There, there, there is little room for variation, but it actually, when the film actually, um, when Musashi is actually like pitted in a corner, like in like a confined space with like very few, with only like three or four opponents, like that's when it gets really exciting and really tense, but like uh, that's really few and far between. And especially when there's an epilogue, like after the unbroken take ends, there's a great little like sort of like coda where he has where he fights basically the survive I guess the survivors or like the descendants of or like he fights other people and it's shot more traditional shot and edited more traditionally and it was the best action scene of the movie and it made me as as like sort of audacious as like this concept was it was just kind of felt unnecessary in a way and that was a bit disappointing that is a bummer i feel like in your review didn't you talk about how it's like it seemed like they had like a lot of maybe issues out of that were out of out of their hands like the sun was always beating down on the shots and things like that yeah yeah it was i guess because they wanted to film it like at sunset so the first sort of like half an hour of the single take is like right as the sun is starting to set but it's really awkward because you can tell that they are trying to keep all of the action facing away from the sun and keep the cameraman oh, facing geez. away from the sun so it's really awkward and also uh tak sakaguchi who's like this legendary sort of action star who is who kind of came out of retirement a few years ago for the director's uh, previous film and also came in and played musashi in this film like he has a really intense physicality to his role and like like you really like it you're almost like vicariously kind of like like it, the film in and of itself is kind of like the endurance test that Masashi is going through like you start to feel his exhaustion at a certain point but yeah you can tell that like like once the sun actually starts to set and there's like no like really visible sort of rays of sunlight that's when like you know like the camera starts to move around a little bit more freely you know it starts to get more exciting and it's just yeah it was it was an odd, it was an odd decision, and it just made the first part of the film really awkward. That's too bad. It sounds like it was kind of an interesting but ultimately not great experiment. Whereas yeah. 
my movie just wasn't great. <laughs> um, so uh, my film that I chose for the worst is The Traveling Cat Chronicles, which was the movie I alluded to earlier, where I saw the title and I was like, ooh, <laughs> Traveling Cat Chronicles, what could this be? And I figured, like, we're going to talk about other crazy movies early, later in this podcast, where I was like, there's so many things off the wall. And I was like, is this, is this like some crazy, like, cat through time thing? I knew nothing about this movie. <laughs> and I probably should have done my research. <laughs> but so this movie, um, more than anything else, I would compare it to some of more of the movies we've seen stateside, where it's like a dog's purpose or a dog's journey or a dog's way home. Many of the dogs blank right. movies. <laughs> no cats getting drowned in this film? Luckily, no. Thank God. Thank there, God. <laughs> there is no, um, that's the one thing I will say with this movie. There is no animal like killing. There was in, in the prologue of this movie, you think there is. And then I was like, oh no, it's going to be that kind of movie. But luckily there's not. It, the cat is saved. Um, so basically the idea of this movie is there's a, a young adult. He can't take care of his cat anymore for the reasons that you'll learn later on that are supposed to make you cry, but did not make me cry. Um, but he can't hold on to this cat any longer. And basically he's just driving from person to person, like re, uh, reconnecting with like his childhood friend or this girl he had a crush on and everything like that. And he's like they offered to give him, they offered to take his cat. And so while they're there, the, the movie takes the opportunity to just to kind of recollect on their lives together. And they, so they talk about how he meets his childhood friend and they had a, another cat who they really liked together, but their parents wouldn't let them keep them and they go on this whole thing. So it's really, it's a movie that's told in a lot of flashbacks. Um, but it's incredibly repetitive. So this is the, the cycle of this movie is a guy walks up, meets his friend. They talk about one of their deepest memories together. Uh, they laugh, they cry, and then they're like, oh, for whatever reason, they can't keep the cat. <laughs> like, sorry, it's not going to work. Like, one person has a dog, and the dog and the cat are, like, hostile towards each other. So it's like, oh, well, we can't do this now, obviously. It's not going to work. <laughs> so then they move on to the next person. So it's just basically that for the entire movie. Um, and it's super schmaltzy. I mean, there's... Uh, explaining why kind of gets into the spoilers of the movie, uh, but it is just very maudlin, very melodramatic. Uh, just It just didn't work on me. I think there's definitely an audience for that out there, um, but it's not me. Uh, so yeah, this, this movie, it was the first movie I watched for Fantasia, so it wasn't the greatest way to start this, yeah. but um, yeah. I should have done my research, but still, The Traveling Cat Chronicles, amazing title. Not a great movie. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't really, um, uh, it didn't really make a great impression on you. It's, it's odd. It doesn't really sound like a. From what we've come to know of Fantasia from the rest of the films we watched, it doesn't really. It seems like a bit of an outlier in the, in the rest of their programming. Yeah, it does. And so, like, there's the cat. Like, the cat talks, and luckily, it's not a CGI cat, like something you'd see at a, at a like show dogs or like anything where like they have like the animated dog just like flying around everywhere and okay. things like that. Is it there's like the early like early two thousands kids movies where they animate the mouth moving? No, there's or nothing of that cat? either. No, okay. <laughs> so it's it's literally just like you see the cat. The cat's just like looking like a cat, and then there's like someone talking. Um, but it's one of those things where like the people don't understand the cat. So it's really just like the cat's talking to the audience, you know, kind of thing to fill in some gaps. But, um, yeah, this movie was weird. <laughs> I thought it was going to be yeah. a lot more than when it was and it ended up being very like kind of the, the most like base level of what you think it's, right. it's literally the traveling cat and the, they're chronicling it. <laughs> 
Well, it sounds like we both, uh, both of our least favourite films were both uh, Japanese films with great titles. Um, but another film, because I don't think there's anywhere else we're going to talk about it. Uh, it, it was one of my least favourite of the festival, but like, I still think it, there's some value in it. And a lot of people have really loved this film. And well, it's not really a film because the first credit you see in this is uh, director Ryan Kruger and uh, it's a Ryan Kruger thing. This isn't a movie, <laughs> this is a thing. So this is Fried Barry. I love it. I love thing energy. It's great. <laughs> this is Fried Barry. Um, apparently this is adapted from like a short film, which I watched afterwards. And the short film is basically just like this really disgusting sort of like homeless looking drug addict, like sort of like spazzing around and like, he's clearly high, like fried. He's, he's on something. He's on ecstasy. He's on something. And like, he's just like contorting his body and like really weird ways this movie adapt like it's something like four minutes long it's pretty cool it's a pretty cool and the camera's doing some really interesting things that was really cool and it's interesting because one of my weirdest um one of my, one of my biggest issues with this film is that this should have been a short film but right. like the, the concept that they expand would have made a better short film but yeah so basically it this takes this short and uh so it's set in south africa set in cape town specifically and there's this guy named barry he's sort of like this uh, 40s or 50s something he's a burnout his wife hates him uh he's just gone on this massive bender and uh while he's drunkenly stumbling through the streets by night he's abducted by aliens and um, as, as, as it happens yeah <laughs> yeah as as you do like it's south africa i'm sure that's a daily occurrence there i've seen district nine i've seen district nine i know that happens um <laughs> apologies to listeners in south africa um especially glenn if you're listening um but yeah, so basically he's abducted by aliens and an alien, this alien creature basically takes hold of his body. But it's, so the alien is sort of just going on like this sort of like joyride in Barry's body as like, he just basically stumbles from like comically, like a ridiculously comic to like disgustingly sort of like grungy set piece from another. One involving a prostitute, which is one of, I guess will probably be like, the most infamous movie scene of this movie, which I will not talk about because um, it needs to be seen to be believed. And also just like the scene of him actually getting abducted and the alien overtaking his body has some really sort of darkly comic and like really sort of uh, quite uh, very visceral imagery that like was really, like really interesting to see, but was also like kind of like what is happening. <laughs> And, like, a lot of this movie is sort of, like, what is happening. And, like, I guess it's all sort of elevated. Again, apologies to South African uh, listeners, but, like, it's all elevated to this level of ridiculousness because South African accents, I'm not sure if you know, they're really funny. Especially, like, when everything is at this such this heightened register. But my problem, much like Crazy Samurai Masashi, it, like, it builds, like, it just keeps trying to top itself in, like, how ridiculous it can get. And it just kind of really falls flat after that and it gets sort of it kind of gets boring after a while which is unfortunate that's a shame i love a good movie accent they're just they make everything better <laughs> that's so that's a bummer that they couldn't quite put that together yeah and i i'm scared now because i've seen uh, through the fantasia discord server and through other critics that have seen this film um the director like for every critic that's actually reviewed viewed this film uh the director has sent uh each critic a video of the actor playing barry a video of him aggressively staring, like yelling their name while like, ah. screaming their name into a camera. So, oh no! Everyone, look out for Sean. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> Press F for respects for Sean. 
<laughs> oh my god i hope that no, doesn't there, happen there, to me. There, there is genuine like there's a lot of like genuinely great like sort of what the fuck moments in there and it would be a great film to see with an audience too but like like which is why i think it's sort of a bummer that this film is going to like a virtual festival but like i can definitely see this playing well with this with the sort of fantasia crowd and even in the festival like the online festival space it seems to have done that so far it sounds like it'd be a great midnight showing or something like that where like, oh, like yeah. i know yeah, at sundance where it's just like i remember back at sundance in january where i watched bad hair which is a movie coming out uh, in, i think in october around uh, halloween but that movie was like 20 percent better just because i saw it at midnight and i was tired <laughs> but well, that, um, that, per- that perfectly leads us into our next category which you have said of like sort of films that dip, that occupy this sort of festival space what is the most genre-iest uh, compared to like according to what your uh, colloquialism there the yeah, so film festival of this genre festival. So yeah, so we're going with the genreist. Uh, I can't even say my own category, but basically the film that we felt like best exemplifies just the spirit of Fantasia, the wackiness, and everything of it. Um, and I, for this, I chose the Mortuary Collection, which is a horror anthology movie uh, directed by Ryan Spindell. And it seems like it's a lot of people like it. It's actually 100% on Rotten Tomatoes right now, but um, oh. obviously that doesn't mean anything. But people do like it. Um, so. It's basically, it's, it takes place at a morgue. Obviously, you can tell from the title. Um, but the, the, the head of the morgue, the morgue is played by Clancy Brown. Just great stuff from Clancy Mr. Brown. Mr. Krabs himself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so the idea of this movie is that he is finishing up on a eulogy that he is having at the morgue. And there's a girl that comes in. She says, oh, I saw the help wanted sign out front. And I was like, do you guys need any help? And he's like in the most evil like he's he's very evil he's got all this makeup on he looks like the very evil like uh person you would see like in a morgue or like a really evil old butler or someone you'd see he's just very menacing very clancy brown the voice is great it's just all great stuff and um so the girl the girl's like yeah like i saw that i love morgues for some reason she doesn't say that but it's like she gives off that energy (laughs) but she's like i would love to help and he says sure and so he's looking all menacing and things like that and they start like looking he starts showing her all the rooms it's like oh this is where all our books are and she's like wow this is a crazy collection what are all what are these books and he explains that all these books are stories of real people who died in crazy and specific ways so then an anthology movie was born. So this movie is uh, based, I would call it three and a half different stories because the first one's pretty cute where it's like, it's like five minutes long and it's about uh, an octopus monster that lives behind a mirror in a bathroom. And so a girl basically gets sucked into it and that's about it. And then you cut from that and then the girl is like, yeah, that wasn't too great. Like, it's very much like a, she's taking the critic's stance of like, oh, that, that's that uh, it wasn't really imaginative and things like that it's things we've seen before but it works sounds pretty like a, well it sounds like a trade house of horror episode yeah pretty much it's it's kind of fun in that way and so then <laughs> after that clancy brown's like oh i got the stories for you so they get progressively more crazy and crazy um and this this movie all takes like it's try the thing that i struggle with with, anth- with anthology movies is like cool you have all these great stories but how are they really connecting and i feel like a lot of or lesser anthology movies are just like a way that to put a couple short films together because they didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. Um, so, so this movie, it tries to make it a lot about fate and how like it's basically 
you everything everybody gets what's coming to them people evil does get like there's a balance so that you some good force counteracts the bad the people who do bad things get what they get what they get what's coming to them things like that um so i would say in the end it does work pretty well all of the stitching to it um because there's a few revelations in the third act where um it does end up becoming a little more than just like filler between different anthology stories um but the I feel like the the best parts are obviously the stories. There's one with uh, Jacob Alordi from uh, Kissing Booth fame. I know who Spencer your, Anderson your is. Favorite. It's just he's just going nuts right on Twitter. He can sense it. He's ready. <laughs> he's ready to start tweeting. <laughs> that, that that bit will never die. And honestly, I'm here for it now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so of, of of Euphoria and things like that. And he plays in. In, in this specific story, he plays uh, just a real a frat douchebag who is giving out condoms and saying, oh, this is to take down, basically he, he says to take down the patriarchy and make, get, and make you all you women empowered so you can have sex with us. That's basically what he says. Um, so he brings this girl back, uh, doesn't use protection, and then he gets pregnant. Um, so there's a reversal there, and it's very wow. gruesome. It's incredibly gruesome. Um, this movie has a wicked mean streak to it in every single horror short. Uh, it's just really mean, and the, there's really, really good gore effects to all of these. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. There's one, there's another one where uh, a, a uh, husband is looking after her, his wife, who is basically like, she's just... Uh, basically a vegetable at this point like she can't she can't move she's feeding him and a evil doctor's like hey i have these pills for you that you can give her and they're untraceable <laughs> so you can just like you can you can kill her if you'd like um so it's just a really wicked morality play uh, that i really liked i think the stitching together um everything in the morgue with clancy brown is probably the weakest up until the third act but uh i thought it was really cool and the, the director is ryan spindell um, he injects a lot of really good, like Spielbergian kind of whimsy, like horror whimsy in the score. There's some really good, like old Peter Jackson vibes to this when he was just doing really gr- grimy, gross movies and not doing Lord of the Rings. Um, so yeah, I really like this movie. I think this inhabits a lot of what Fantasia likes in terms of just really striking imagery. I don't think I'll get a lot of the Jacob Lordy stuff out of my head anytime <laughs> soon. Um, but yeah, I I really like this movie. This one, it's one of my favorites that I've seen. Uh, can't wait for the Kissing Booth fans to uh, see that. And, uh, <laughs> no, that. That definitely sounds like, like I'm surprised that this film wasn't on my radar for all of Fantasia Fest. Like I really want to see this film now. Like it's uh, I, it's, it's something. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm similar with you with, um, uh, with anthology films. Like, you know, there's all, in anthology films, you're always going to get like a really, like a couple of really great shorts. There's ones that aren't going to be that great. There's some that are going to be, quite terrible but like yeah my, my biggest issue is if there isn't really much of a thematic undercurrent or like the framing device that like links them all together is like rather flimsy yeah it's i think that part is where it's, i think it waffled a little bit i think it's better than most so i give it somewhat of the benefit of the doubt but yeah the shorts are really good are, are really good um and yeah jacob lordy is just doing yeah. a lot of stuff in that one short and just shout out to him <laughs> And it's interesting to see uh, an anthology film all from the same director as well. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's really, really good. So it seems like he really had something uh, on his mind there. But um, yeah, I really liked him. I really liked it. I think he's someone to watch out for too, because I think he's he wrote this too. He's kind of the whole mind behind this. And um, 
yeah, it's he's there's a lot of he's really slick as a director. He's got a lot of cool different things he's doing with the camera. So I, Brian Spindell is definitely a guy to look out for. Mm. Well, as for my sort of a genre-iest film, I've got two. Uh, I'll quickly touch on one because I've already got a review for it on the site. But uh, this film is easily, like, sort of encapsulates what at least I go to genre film festivals for, is just, like, these just things that you would never see anywhere else. And that is uh, this Estonian stop-motion animation film called The Old Man Movie, which apparently is a a feature-length adaptation of, like, this cult web series um, from these two, from these two Estonian animators, and uh, basic idea: three city children are dropped off at their grandfather's place uh, in the countryside. Uh, he's a, a dairy farmer. He has a, this cow. Like he's basically a hometown hero. The the villagers go absolutely crazy for the milk that the cow the cow makes, but <laughs> because it is. He's, he, but because he's a bit old-fashioned, he is not really up-to-date with in terms of uh, uh, animal ethics. And uh, this cow is rather abused. And it kind of horrifies the children a little bit. So one night, uh, the, one of the kids lets the cow go free. But as you find out, uh, in this world anyway, I'm not quite sure if it's in real, real world, uh, any cow experts, please uh, correct me. But apparently, if a cow is not milked within 24 hours, it will explode. <laughs> the other will expand like a balloon and it will explode like a nuclear bomb. That's amazing. Is, so basically it becomes like a race against the clock for the old man and their grandchildren <laughs> to try and find this cow before it explodes. But then also they also have to beat an, uh, the old milker who was a victim to a, uh, what they call the lactopocalypse in the film. <laughs> And uh, he was basically right next to the cow when it exploded. And he is quite, his whole body chemistry has changed now. Like he's wheelchair bound and he is basically more milk than man at this point. Like he says something of like, I I bleed buttermilk and Christ vanilla ice cream. That's incredible. (laughs) Like that. And this movie is just like bizarre set piece after bizarre set piece. Like it's just, like you go from like a, a tree god with, with like an archway under it with it like sort of moans every time you drive under it and keeps asking you to drive in and out and in and out. Like this movie is so crass and so immature, but it's one of those things. The best way I can describe this movie is like a town called Panic meets Rick and Morty. That is what this film is. That sounds great. And like <laughs> there's also like if you have a scene where your character gets swallowed by a giant bear and then has to use the power of rock and roll to escape its colon, um, <laughs> you have you have my vote. Uh, this film is just so fucking bizarre, and like it does it does even it tries to have a message like it does have somewhat of an anti-animal abuse message and like you know to be more ethical and have respect for animals. But the way the film inverts that in like the final five minutes is just so shocking. <laughs> like you, you have, again, like with what I said earlier, like with uh, fried Barry, you have to see it to believe it. But yeah, old man movie is, it is one of my favorites of the festival. It's just so outlandish and so bizarre. And yeah, it's just one of the funniest films I've seen this year. That sounds amazing. I'm here for all milk puns at all times. So that sounds incredible. <laughs> Um, but then the other film that I have here of the sort of, uh, this one's kind of at the other end of the spectrum. It's still a decent film, but, uh, it's called The Columnist. And this is, I believe it's a Dutch film. Uh, it's directed by, I think, Evo von Kant, I think is his name. Uh, 
I don't have that with me, unfortunately, but the, I'm just looking through my notes, my extended notebook <laughs> that I have for each of these ones. So The Columnist is basically, it's this Dutch film about this, uh, this journalist, uh, like I think she's like an advice columnist or like a political columnist or something like that. So after she appears on a talk show, she's meant to sell her book, but then, you know, she goes on there and eventually starts to, you know, you know, express her interest. And, you know, if you're a woman in a public space expressing your interest that people don't agree with, unfortunately, that doesn't work out well for you, which is bullshit, but that's a discussion for another yep. day. But anyway, so what happens here is that she starts getting a whole heap of abuse online. Like it's really starting to take, like, take hold of her personal life. Like she starts getting death threats. It starts escalating. And like she just, one day she just snaps. And starts to, I think it begins with her next door neighbor. She finds out her next door neighbor who appears at one point in the movie in blackface. Like, so, and like, you, oh. like as soon as you go through this guy's social media presence, it's like, yeah, this guy is like a fucking horrible human being. And like, you know, is like his Twitter page is fucking horrifying. And like, um, she kind of gets like, yeah, like, so it was kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back. So like, you know, and she basically starts going after her attackers literally oh. she starts <laughs> That's amazing. Fucking killing. she starts hunt, like tracking down her attackers uh, like you know trying to figure out who they are under their like behind their anonymous like twitter profiles and then track them down find them kill them and take one of their fingers as a trophy um as, as one does, of course. <laughs> There's not, not really much more to say about this film. I think, as, like, I, I think it just very much fits into like, this, this space of, of the Fantasia, like, you know, the, of a sort of genre festival. Um, as a genre piece, I think it's really entertaining and really satisfying and also really cathartic in that way too. Um, I think the, the film, I think, kind of overreaches a little bit in terms of like, its social commentary, but it's still effective. Uh, it's a decent movie, not one of my favourites, but still definitely worth the watch. I'm surprised, like, I feel like that idea for a movie would have happened by now. It's kind of crazy yeah. that, like, it's taken this long. I don't know. That's weird. Well, I, I would not be surprised if there is an English language remake uh, or this American one does. remake sometime in the next couple of years. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still not looking forward to whenever the English remake of The Guilty comes out. And it'll, it'll is just is be, that even happening? I don't know, but the, I saw the thing whenever that came out. I was like, oh my God, yeah. The Guilty is amazing. And then, just listen like, to Bong Joon-ho. Watch it with subtitles, you moron. <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, so we'll move on from there. Uh, we wanted to touch on, uh, I know both of us really have a documentary that we really like that we're going to talk about in a second, but um, we wanted to do a little spotlight, do a little documentary spotlight. So. Sean, what was the movie that you wanted to talk about here? Now, you didn't see any other documentaries other than the one. I did not. I just saw the one. Okay. <laughs> and it's my favorite movie, so we're talking about it later. <laughs> it's mine too, so we'll get to that. And it's actually coming out at the end of this week in the US. Digitally, it is. So. I do know that, yeah. Right. So that this film, uh, I'm not sure when this is coming out outside of, um, outside of Fantasia, but this is a film, again, with a great title. And you see this a lot in genre festivals too, like Fantasia. It's a film called The Prophet and the Space Aliens. Um, so, uh, how aware are you about Rayli Ray Rayalism, the no religion idea. known as Rayalism? So I have basically, no idea. so basically, uh, this is from a, uh, a Israeli filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker named Yoav Shamir, I believe. Apologies if I've mispronounced that. Um, he is actually invited to Okinawa for this, for basically to do to make a film about the leader of this religion. Uh, in inverted commas, religion, 
Um, because I can't remember exactly the reason why, but apparently, like, uh, I'm not exactly sure. I don't have that in my notes here. But so he's brought, like, he's brought over to make this film about this about this man Rael, who claims to be a prophet, uh, who was basically like in the 70s was abducted by aliens who said we created the human race and like all of this sort of stuff and like you are the prophet that like you know does all this stuff. It's actually it, it would make an interesting double double feature with the uh, with special actors, which we'll um which we'll talk about oh, yeah. later as well. Um, but yeah, so it's basically like this look into this man and into this bizarre religion with some ridiculous beliefs. Um, like they claim that like they have human cloning technology and they, they believe the only, like unlike most religions, they believe that human cloning is the only path to eternal life. And yeah, so the oh. belief is that they were, humans were created from the DNA of aliens. So that basically to, to live eternally, like human cloning. And they, they believe that they claim they have human cloning technology. But yeah, the documentary, and it's interesting because like I'm always interested in how documentaries and documentarians, directors of documentaries, whether they choose to insert themselves or not insert themselves into the film. Here right. he kind of has to because it's sort of like this journey. So I've seen it done really poorly, but here I think it's done quite well because you kind of see the filmmaker kind of gets under the spell of this. And, and you yourself, like he kind of, it's really well done where it's like, you can see like the filmmakers kind of being manipulated by this very charismatic uh, leader that is Rael. Um, and then you learn more about him, but then like he starts to snap out of it a little bit and being like, I'm, I'm starting to realize I'm being manipulated. And he's starting to think like part of me like wants to believe him, but part of me also wants to like expose him for his bullshit basically. Because like right. one of the big, one of the big things around this cult is like sexual freedom. Which, mm. and, and like they have plans of like in in uh kind of which uh, one of the uh, there's a country in Africa I believe they were in uh not Senegal uh it was so there was one country in Africa that they have like put a sect there in and to combat against because you know sexual freedom and sexual liberation is a big part of this uh of this religion they uh have plans to like start up like this hospital to um the women who have been basically uh had been had genital mutilation basically they've started this hospital that can like restore their clitoris basically so oh. they can you know once again feel sexual pleasure which is which is okay but then the film right. delves deeper into it and there's like really no sort of thing and then it's like it, it, it gets into some really interesting areas and then you see this man especially like then you learn about like i think there's the angels of Rael who like basically it's the only the prettiest women in this sect uh they can't have sex with anyone else un uh, except for either the gods or Rael himself and you're like okay man <laughs> something's not I'm, right I'm here starting <laughs> call, i'm starting to call this thing and like he always dresses in white like there's at one point where he's on a beach he looks like eminem like in all white it's really really funny but then like it's but the the film never takes like this sort of judgmental approach Oh, and and like eventually he does go back to his hometown in France and like because like he only ever hears about like this glowing sort of talk about him and like how like his teachings have sort of like liberated and like you know they found salvation with this in realism but then he goes back to like the small town in France where he grew up and you found out like he was like a moderately successful musician that burnt out and then he also had like this car magazine in the 70s which folded and like it turns out like he was 
a real, it was someone that was just like really, really obsessed with being famous. And at one mm. point, like, and, and this is where the documentary like sort of starts to take the, take the leading of like, maybe this is all complete nonsense. Like, like it, it starts to get more cynical and be like, okay, maybe this is all complete nonsense. Like you get the feeling like that. And, but again, the documentary has an open mind. Like there's at one point where he's talking about like uh, his second book where he basically explains like when he met the aliens and they took him to his home planet, they interview one of his old childhood friends and he was like, yeah, that's in a comic book he borrowed from me back in like 72. <laughs> so, um, oh my God. <laughs> but then like, the, yeah, it's, it's a, it is an interesting film. It's an interesting sort of look into this religion and like it does definitely take a non-judgmental approach and like it's just a very interesting ride and like the final lines of the film definitely will stick with you it's just like just uh, whether you like he basically the end of the film i don't really think it's a spoiler but like he basically directly says to camera it's like even if if you're i understand you're skeptical but just think to yourself what if it's true And yeah, that's, it's a <laughs> yeah. decent thing where it leaves with. And I'm probably I've rambled on a bit about this. It's probably made no sense, but it's it's the Prophet and the Space Aliens, definitely a very compelling documentary that surprisingly takes a non-judgmental, less cynical. Like I, I, as soon as I saw heard about this, I thought it'd be like a haha gotcha sort of right. like expose of like this nonsense, but it re- it really isn't. How do they approach the cloning? Is it just like oh we can't show you that, or what is like what is the deal there? Uh I think with that it's just like they mention it at the beginning and it's just like um they don't really bring it up that much. Like they, they say like, oh apparently there was this big report back in two thousand and two. It's like we've cloned the first ever human. It's like, great, is there any evidence of that? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's funny. Um uh, cool. All right. Well so I guess from there it's a good segue into both of our uh best movies of the festival that we've seen, uh which is also a documentary, which is the great documentary feels good, man. Um, which is basically the whole, I guess it's a journey, uh, exploration of, uh, Matt Fury, the uh, uh, cartoonist who created, uh, the cartoon Pepe, um, who I, I assume most people just know from memes and everything like that. Um, but, uh, as all things do, he just drew this cartoon uh, based off of his life as like a, just a, Fun, as fun boys do like it's just like a, a, a frog peeing in the urinal things like that just fun little just a fun little cartoon and then somewhere on the lo- down the line in this movie and the movie goes far in depth on how uh, this takes place but um, Pepe was used as uh, as a symbol of self-loathing and eventually hatred and just very nasty stuff later on it starts all on 4chan and it Basically, the documentary shows this really good uh, chronology of how Pepe was a very simple, relaxed, and just just a fun little cartoon that you'd read just like on your phone or something like that. And we fast forward to it's a symbol of the the Anti Defamation League. Um, it's used by the alt right to uh, further their. Uh, to further their claims and Donald Trump is retweeting everything. It's like, what is happening? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, I think it's a, and we'll get more into it, but I think it's a really good exploration about um, also just how people can turn things and just turn them into hate, but also how um, once a, a creator makes something and how it totally shifts it and how it totally shifts once the public gets 
its hands on it. Like I think you we see like directors all the time where we're just looking about films where it's like, yes, like this is what I really intended. And then like people view it and they take it within context of their world and everything like that. And it changes totally differently. And I think this is um, like a worst case example of that. I think it's a really good documentary. I love this movie. Um, it's my, one of my favorites. Of the, it is my favorite of the festival and probably one of my favorites of the year so far. I absolutely love this film. It's a brilliant case study into how fucking awful the internet is. It's so Apolo- true. Apologies for swearing, but geez. Um, <laughs> this but- is an explicit podcast. Go nuts, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll keep it to that, though. Um, but yeah, but something you didn't mention there is just how much, like, because the first half of this documentary, like, I will say, like, this is by far the scariest film of 2020. Oh, it's terrifying. Like, it is, it's, it is, it is so terrifying. <laughs> um, like the, the way this film gets into like how 4chan works and how that operates and like it's delving into NEAT culture. NEAT, which stands for no employment, uh, education or training. Um, That's right, and yeah. Especially the, the NEAT that they, that they interview as well. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah. Uh, it's just it's horrifying in all of that sort of stuff but like it's but what this documentary i think does really well is painting a portrait and how all of this carnage and the sort of psychological impact this had on nat fury because mm-hmm. like, absolutely the, the, i do think even though i think the movie does lose a little bit of momentum once like the film becomes sort of solely about him and like there's legal like his legal battles with like you know like this racist children's book using Pepe's and alex name, jones and, like, <laughs> and alex jones yes um it, it's just like yeah he's just become like this spectator to things have just like mutated and just gone so sour and so nuclear so quickly it's just he even he describes it as a garbage world like I think he describes America and the internet as a garbage world. Yeah, and I feel so bad for him because like they talk a lot about this how he's he's kind of oblivious to everything that's going on. He's very oblivious yeah. to how things are going on at first. Where he's not like really big on like being on the internet at all. Like he just he's like oh yeah like they're doing they're doing a thing with my cartoon. Oh that's interesting. And then it just spirals so far out of control, and he just like before he even knows it, like it's. Like it's on the, it's a symbol on that uh, from the Anti-Defamation League. And um, yeah, it is so fascinating. It's really the first half of this, as you said, is terrifying because we get to just see how things spiral so quickly. And it's like Pepe, like you look, it's a just, it's a damn frog. He's essentially like the personification of Matt Fury, essentially, at least in its yeah. original form. In right. its original form from the Boys Club comics, absolutely. Like, he's just this guy that just loves hanging out and just, like, he's just very laid back. And But I think even though the director, Arthur Jarens, who has a background in animation, which, by the way, the animated sequences in this really, film, really I good. think, are terrific. Yeah, but, like, yeah. It, it, even though, like, Matt, um, Arthur Jones, the director, does, he is, like, good friends with Matt Fury in real life. And he does have an, this incredible amount of sympathy for his, for his friend and, like, everything that he's going for. But then again, he also leaves room to kind of be like, but he's also, it also leaves open for the interpretation that Matt Fury was also kind of complicit in like the way yeah. that Pepe sort of escalated out of control by not really doing anything about it. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how it paints later on how, yeah, it's already at, totally out of his control before he's really taking really strong matters to go against it. Um, yeah, it's, it is so fascinating and like, yeah, you, how we talked about how 4chan works and showing like just all these clips of like there's the I think the editing work is so well in this where they're showing like 
Donald Trump winning and then they just have all these little like people on 4 yeah. going nuts and I think all that is just so terrifying and it's I don't know it just it makes me it makes me really scared <laughs> to think about yeah. how we took a frog it, it, and made it something so sinister <laughs> yeah uh, it, it, it is terrifying but somehow like all of this is able to end on such a sort of hopeful and uplifting note like this film is definitely yeah. a roller coaster of emotions, and I just absolutely, yeah, loved every second of it. One, one, honestly, one of the best documentaries I've seen in quite a while. Yeah, it's really, and I, yeah, as you said earlier, it comes out on, I think the third this coming week. I think so, I think, but I think um, maybe the fourth. Yes. Yeah, it's one of those, but um, yeah, it's really terrific. I can't recommend it enough. And yeah, yes. it's it really it does make you feel a little good in the end. We're like, oh, there is some there are some ways to fix this, but um, will yeah, make you feel good, man. <laughs> puns <laughs> i'm keeping it in <laughs> um so yeah, yeah from there, I, I, have, I have a review oh. on the side as well if you want to hear more thoughts about it. and it's a terrific review it's a terrific review that i edited and loved as i as i read it <laughs> but we'll move on um we're going to do a little bit of a we're calling this odds and ends we're going to do, do a little bit of grab bag conversation so sean what's a movie that you haven't been able to cover yet that you want to discuss well, I, I have seen PVT chat, but um, according to uh, the, the festival, uh, it's only available for capsule reviews, and I am not quite sure if I'm allowed to uh, review it for this podcast. So <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll hold off, but PVT, private chat, PVT chat or private chat, however you want to say it, is, will be known as the Julia Fox Cam Girl movie. And uh, it's actually really good. It's like, it's really sort of interesting. I'll just do a very brief. It's this really interesting sort of... Uh, I guess, exploration into, and very timely as well, into like uh, romance, intimacy, and especially loneliness uh, online and in the age of the internet. And uh, yeah, it's sort of like a raw, yeah, it's, it, it's, an, it's an interesting film, but I don't know if I can say too much more about it. Um, uh, but Special Actors is one that we've both seen. Yeah, Special Actors, really good movie. So this is the follow-up from Shinichiro Ueda, um, who did One Cut of the Dead, which I know we both adore. It's a terrific movie. Yes. Um, so this is, this is a very interesting movie. Uh, it's very, very high concept. Uh, so it's, it follows this, uh, this follows this guy. He's probably like late teens, early 20s. He's, he's trying to be an actor, and he's just not good at it at all. <laughs> and Why the is thing he with not it, good at it? <laughs> so there's a thing that happens so he much like uh in knives out we see with anna de armas who just pukes as soon as she gets starts to lie things like that we have a tick here where as soon as he just gets under pressure or, or excess tension he just faints immediately <laughs> so there's there's some really good uh fall like fall scenes in this movie that's really good for comedic effect and it's used throughout the movie and i thought terrifically there was a one point where i thought they were going to kind of forget it for a little bit, but it's, it always comes back around. And I think it's yeah. a really good part, but so he just faints every time he's really nervous. I just really want to give him a hug the whole movie. He's just so good at being nervous. Um, he sees um, this guy who he later finds out is his brother who gets, who gets into a street fight in the middle of just this area. And he's like, what the hell happened here? Um, and as he learns later, his brother is part of this group called the Special Special Actors. And so they're real life actors. So they got hired to do any type of thing. So there's a good, there's a good uh, montage in this movie of they are hired to be 
the terrible people the, the terrible people that you find at restaurants who are just complaining about everything and it yeah. turns into this crazy <laughs> over-the-top sequence where they're 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 like chasing after yeah. the maitre d and it's yeah. really really funny yeah because um, i think the the owner of the restaurant was like i want to test my staff in like several right yeah, yeah, situations. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really really funny so there's a lot of things like that so one day a girl comes down a girl comes in their office and says uh, is it her sister her i think it's her sister um yeah her, he says her sister um now belongs to a cult um and she owns this inn that has been passed down through their family and she is yeah. going to give the cult their inn her inn so they can use it for just whatever to just improve their reach their and yeah make it their headquarters and things like that um so they she taps the special actors to basically infiltrate the cult um and make make her uh sister like keep the in, keep the cult away from her, make her get rid of, get her out of the cult. It's all this, it's so quiet, it's so crazy and it escalates so fast. But yeah, so the rest of the movie is spent with them infiltrating this cult uh, to, with hilarity ensuing. Uh, and just kind of going all over the place doing all these crazy things that somehow don't work but also end up working. Um, yeah, it's really, really funny. What did you think of it? It's kind of, I think it's kind of like a heist movie in that sense. The heist yeah. movie, but they're not really stealing anything. I mean, uh, they, they are actually, no, they do try to steal something because there's like a video explaining to like investors of like basically how bullshit the cult actually yeah, is. And it's basically right. like sort of like this pyramid scheme or something. <laughs> and like, you know, they're trying to get like a USB on like out of like a hard drive. And uh, then one of them pretends to be like, they have, they come up with this plan where like uh, during one of like their sermonizings or whatever, like they see one of them pretends to be like a journalist, like uncovering and they're like, you know, like, oh, she's a journalist. And like, try to like, <laughs> just like take her in. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's incredibly wacky. It has that sort of, it has that same sensibility uh, Ueno brought to uh, One Cut of the Dead. Um, and also like he clearly has a love for I guess not it it does he clearly has a love for filmmaking because I think that One Cut of the Dead is one of the best films ever made about filmmaking and like he definitely does carry that over here I guess to the art of acting as well yeah he really loves just the artificiality of any kind any like piece of filmmaking so obviously with the One Cut of the Dead we're seeing um, just this incredible sequence at the beginning I don't want to spoil the movie for people who haven't seen it but um do know that it becomes a lot more and it peels the layers back. And this movie is, does a lot of that as well, where it's, it's a lot of people being fake, but also when they're pretending to be fake, they're pretending to do other things. There's just so many different layers to all of this. I think think also the look of the movie, like the, the the sort of soap opera look where like almost every, every single image is like over, like completely overexposed. Like light is like saturating, like every single image of the film. I think it adds, it builds this sort of artifice. Yeah, I agree. Um, I wouldn't say, um, I think I definitely like One Cut of the Dead if we're comparing these two movies. I like One Cut of the Dead a little more. Um, I ultimately found this movie a little more precious in the end. Um, I think it gets so wacky and over the top that, um, I don't know, I feel like it may have lost itself a little bit, but um, I still really like this movie. I think it's really just (laughs) really, really funny. Um, I think a lot of the humor is just so Mm -hmm. over the top in places and there's some really good act uh buffoon buffoonery acting so people there's they play really good idiots in this movie um yeah especially the cult leader uh or the the <laughs> the uh mute cult leader who is just really really good yes. uh, in this movie quite a bit um yeah i 
there's a lot of good there's a lot of really good nuggets in here yeah there's also layers to a lot of the performances as well because a lot of them are actors playing role actors playing actors playing roles <laughs> so, right yeah there's a lot of that and it kind of goes back to like yeah he uh ueda really loves kind of getting into um just really kind of tearing down uh the artifice of filmmaking and there was another movie that did that recently uh tesla which apparently i'm the only one who liked but um, that's well, from, i will that's see a, it if it if it ever gets distribution in Australia, I'll try and say it. I mean, it's a movie where uh, Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla have an ice cream cone fight. So, like, I don't really know what else you need from a movie. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think Love this it. movie, there's a lot of really good stuff in this movie. I, I liked it. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think Ueda is officially a... Um, a director who I'm just going to check out everything he makes. I just think he's just really smart and does a lot of really clever things. Um, I love the, uh, there's one little bit in here. It's a, uh, the main character loves watching this really cheesy old uh, oh, TV. Yes. Um, it's, it's, it's the, I think, what is the superhero? Rescue Man. Rescue, Rescue Man, Man, that's it. Uh, and it's the really hilarious over the top, people flying on wires and getting flown back with, um, just force fields, but they don't have the budget. So it's just the guy pushing his hands out yeah. really hard and they fly back. Uh, it's really, really good. And that has a really good payoff later on. But yeah, um, I, yeah I, also, I, really, I really like special actors a lot. Yeah, I also love the plot where like uh, they're, they're trying to con the con art. Like it's basically a film about conning the con artists, which I right. think is really interesting. Like they try, to, they try to convince them that the inn is haunted. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to, to make really the cult good. leave. Yeah. It's really, really terrific. Um, I also wanted to touch on, so switching over here to another movie that I saw called Minor Premise, um, which is a great idea for a movie. So it's, it's the scientist who is working on his own experiments. Well, he's, he's, he works for a bigger company, but he's really just a man just working on, this, on his contraptions in his basement in his home. Um, so he's working on this machine that can extract memories in very clear picture from your brain. Um, and so his idea is that all memories are attached to an emotion. And so what we can do there, when we have all these emotions, is we can isolate different parts of the brain, and then we can use this machine to highlight these certain parts of the brain. Um, so he figures out this formula and says like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this experiment on myself because all crazy scientists in movies do their own experiments. Um, and so he's like, all right, I'm going to turn up my intellect for, for an hour and see what happens. So he goes under. Um, and when he wakes up, he, he actually screwed up where he has 10 different fragments of his brain that are all split apart. And so they take over, they become like the leader for six minutes every hour. So for, for every six minutes, it's pure creativity and then the second one the second one is like pure anxiety and then it goes back to the default at the end which is just him by himself um so like there's the different parts are like he's at one point he's like full libido um so he's just really horny uh there's one where he's just very he's all euphoria um there's one where he's basically just psychotic um and there's one where he's just very angry as well um so it's him trying to figure out with his assistant how to fix this before basically his brain splits apart and he dies um and i wish it was a little more than that because the movie is very bogged down in the mechanics of oh like they're the evil side of me is going to take over in a few seconds so let's figure this out and don't tell him this thing so that and then because they don't have like 
shared memories. So if he, if you tell one version of himself, something like the eighth version won't remember it. Um, so it's a lot of that where it's like, we got to like maneuver all this together. We got to keep away the bad parts of me so they don't get in the way of this. Um, I wish it was more of a deep dive into like the psychology of this person. And cause like, I feel like that's a great idea where you're like, you're focusing on like a certain part of his brain where it's like, he could be like, like all of his, all of his anxieties are out at the same time. Like, what does this mean for this person? I think there was a chance at a really good character study that I don't think this movie quite leaned on. Um, I also think it's, it's not as outlandish as you would think. Like you would think if a guy's like full libido, like he'd just be going nuts and just like insane. Um, and it's not quite there. It's a little too muted for my liking in that sense. But um, I think the main actors really got on the name off the top of my head, but um, I think this movie is a really cool idea and I really enjoyed watching it, but I wish it was just a little more interested in the deeper ideas that it's kind of scraping up towards, but um, it kind of just leaves itself as a really good, as a solid, well, well-crafted and slick genre, genre movie, which um, is good on some occasions, but I, I could, I could see in so many situations where like, man, this movie it could be really, really good, but it's not quite there. So um, a little unfortunate, but I still, I still appreciated the movie. Oh, that's a, I'm, I'm intrigued by that one, actually. I, again, that was another film that wasn't, like, Mortuary Collection, that wasn't on my radar at all. Like, I don't think, I, this is the first time I'm hearing of this film, actually. I'm pretty sure, so I got, I think it was one of those where I got an email from PR, and they're like, oh, it's Primer meets something else. And I'm like, that sounds interesting. I'll take the bait and watch this movie. <laughs> um, and it turned out, it was pretty interesting. Um, I think, yeah, I don't, it's, it's frustrating, because you can, like I said, you can see all where it could be like some transcendent movie, but it doesn't quite get there. But I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in it and it's worth watching. All right. Um, you haven't seen what the, like, what the general consensus on this film is? Cause it sounds like one that like maybe some people would love or like, yeah. Has it been like, has it, has the consensus sort of met with where you are at the moment or has it been other like at either end? I actually don't know. I think I searched for it and I didn't have many reviews. So I think this is one of the smaller movies at the festival. Let, oh, me, see okay. look, let me see if I can look it up real quick. Um, tell us yeah. something about, tell us something that you really like, that you want okay. to talk well, about. I, th- I think we're almost at our last, I think I'm at my last film actually. Um, uh, and I have an interview with the director of this film, uh, uh, director Quinn Armstrong of this film. Uh, this is a film called Survival Skills, which behind Feels Good Man is my second favorite film of the festival um so this what i was surprised like i i watched this movie based on the premise alone and also because uh, a friend of mine uh who i've had on my my show another bloody movie podcast uh his short film uh chris elena is his name uh, his short film audio guide played at a film festival in san jose um back in march basically right when the world was starting to end back in march oh, and um his his short played before this film called survival skills and like he told me about it and I really, really wanted to see it. And as soon as I saw it was playing at Fantasia, I jumped on it. And the reason why is because I heard of this concept. It's basically uh, a par- like a sort of social satire and parody of an 80s police training video. Oh, now, interesting. if you hear that, like immediately I'm thinking like this is going to be somewhere like this is going to be like su- veering somewhere to like the adult swim sort of like everything is terrible like tim and eric sort of kind of aesthetic but also type of humor i think right 
And while it does have that, the way this movie inverts that, like, you kind of feel betrayed. Like, while you're watching it, you kind of feel a little betrayed. But then when the rest of the film happens, like, you realise just how genius it is. And uh, I, mm-hmm. as I said, I had an incredible chat with Quinn Armstrong, which I'm going to hopefully transcribe and put on Movie Babble at some point, and then also put the audio on my podcast feed as well. Um, but basically, there's this new, very naive uh, cop called Jim to the Middletown Police Department. His first um, call is to a domestic, vi- like sort of a domestic violence, um, a domestic violence uh, case or not case, but like you know, uh, call, I guess. And like he's starting to see like the real issues that are happening with it, but then he's also frustrated by the fact that the police, like he can't do anything about it. Like the, like the sort of system he's in doesn't allow any, like can't, can't do anything about it. And I'm butchering how I say this. So listen to the interview I do with Quinn. Like he explains it a lot better in terms of like the thematic sort of stuff in this movie. But what, what's really interesting about this as well, and like it, it goes for more serious of like this cop who's like really trying to do good, but in, in a system that won't allow him to. And what's really interesting is that the film, like, will go off in this direction. And it's also got, like, the narrator... Like, this all takes place within this sort of training video aesthetic as well. So, like, it all looks like an, like an 80s VHS tape. But then it will cut back to Stacey Keach, who's basically, like, the narrator of the film and the narrator of this training video. It's just like, oh, well, that got out... That, that got off topic quick, didn't it? <laughs> that got out of hand. And, like, he's basically trying to put the movie back on track to, like, the training video, but it keeps getting diverted by the actual story that's happening. And, like, that's there is that... There is that great sort of humour. Like, there's this great thing about, like, protest that, like... About, like, you know... Like, it's all very much, like, steeped in, like, I guess, like, the Reagan-era paranoia of, like, you know... I guess just, like, anything that is, like, un-American and, like, you know, rise of Satanism... Like there's right. a great moment. There's a great moment where Jim has to come in to like he gets a call from like there's there's kids apparently playing like he gets a call from someone that says they think that they're like satanic worshippers in like the house next door. They just they break into the house and it's just kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> That's and really good. He pulls a gun out on him and says like you better get a proper American hobby the next time I come. Oh my home. god. <laughs> That no, it is it is a fascinating fascinating film and yeah my, my as i said again my chat with quinn was amazing this film really threw me and is so like especially now when you know uh and quinn talks about this in the interview like he was incredibly uh i guess um what's the word for it um I guess hesitant to uh, get this to play this movie now because he said right after he had accepted for Fantasia, that was right around when George Floyd was killed. Right. So mm-hmm. he was he was like he was his immediate reaction was like fuck we got to pull the movie we got to pull the movie, but like it's very it's really interesting to watch that in light of in light of the recent police brutality that's happened and how that really escalated and you know gotten this in, you know worldwide attention now and seeing it through that is really really interesting and not 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 at all in a bad way not and and it definitely will be divisive in that way but i don't think it's a very it's way too complex for me to explain by myself but like just saving and try and watch it it's 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 a really really incredible film that sounds really good do you know what the the reception has been for that one or have you heard anything from other people? I think it's been mainly positive, but there have been quite a few voices of dissent towards the film. 
yeah, interesting. I'm sure that's going to be quite the lightning rod. Um, and I just, and to circle back with minor premise, according to Ron Tomatoes, it does not exist. Oh, <laughs> so, really? that just, so that just shows how you got to get on of, there. I know I got to do it. I got to do got, it. You I are gotta, Rotten Tomatoes approved now. You got to get on there. I, yep. I got to do it. <laughs> I got to be the first one. <laughs> um, yeah, so my last movie uh, was actually a movie that premiered at Sundance earlier this year. I didn't get a chance to see it there before the world imploded. <laughs> but uh, that movie is uh, Dinner in America. Um, and it's just, I don't quite know how to describe this movie. It's very, very strange. It's just very chaotic. It's very punk. Um, so the first scene of this movie is just very, very bizarre. So it's, we follow... Uh, Kyle Gallner is the lead character in this movie, or the lead actor in this movie, and you've seen him in things like American Sniper and all these other movies where he's never quite taken like the leap that I expected. I feel like, well, I'm not a huge Kyle Gallner head, but <laughs> I feel like he was in a lot of things around like the early 2010s and he kind of disappeared for a while. But this yeah. seems like it was, a, it was on Veronica Mars. Quite that's a bit what it was. Well. Yeah. Like, yeah. So he's been around. You've seen his face. You know him. You're like, oh, you act and things. You've you've seen him. Um, but we open in in this institution where he's given himself up to medical examination, where he's taking all these pills. He's drooling all over the place. He can't hear. There's another girl that he knows that is doing the same thing, and they're just like like flicking their tongues at each other and it's like the really gross like tongue sound effect that you've heard many many times that the like, hereditary just, thing no it's it's just like you, you you know it when you've you know it when you've heard it where it's just like a like the little flipper sound it's really disgusting um and this movie is just hyper edited all over the place and it has this punk trash techno beat throughout the entire movie and i don't even know if i use those words correctly because i don't listen to punk music but that's just <laughs> it makes sense in my head those words um so this movie follows this punk rocker and after they him and his friend leave the institution because they, they leave early because they run amok and they don't get paid the whole, their whole amount so they get mad and leave um the girl says like hey you can come over to my place for dinner um and i can blow you afterwards and he's like oh okay but it's just like very punky and grungy um so <laughs> they go over to the house and the her family is just like this like the most despicable super like ultra like we're white americans like they're watching football um like this movie uses very shocking language like at one point he's like they're watching football and he uses the n-word um, and it's like very like oh you're like whoa and the entire movie is like that where it's using very abrasive language the entire time um so basically uh the lead character played by kyle Gallner, he starts making out with the mom because she comes on to him and then everything runs amok he cracks open the window he throws a chair out the window and burns their he lit lights gasoline and burns their front hedges on fire and runs away <laughs> so that's the lead of the movie very very strange and the returning to having dinner with multiple people throughout this uh movie is a thing that returns over and over again but the main idea of this movie is it ends up being a romance between the punk rocker and this uh this girl who works at a Pet Zone, it's PetSmart, but they probably didn't own the rights, so it's Pet Zone. Um, and everyone calls her the R word, and it's very troubling. Like, I was like, the first few times, I was like, oh, that's like quite a bit. Like, I don't really, like, I don't know about that. But um, so she clearly, like, she clearly has some kind of issues, but it's not, it's not the overplayed, like, Forrest Gump or any kind of, like, the movieifying of, right. 
of special needs. They, they play it. They play it a lot truer, and I think that's actually very respectable of this movie. Um, it's just like she's just a little. She's just like a little quirky, and that's not even like a coded term. She just is a very quirky person. Sometimes she doesn't pick up on things, but they play it very honestly. Um, and it's basically the entire movie is a romance between these two, and it's basically these plucky out, outsiders are going to find love together. And the movie is always very abrasive, and people are yelling at each other. And when they when they sit down at dinner, people just yell at people more. They go back and forth. Um, and there's, so there's a lot of interesting ideas with this movie is playing, but I think ultimately, I think it sums up to um, like outsiders or people too, which is just like, it's a pretty like, I think boy, like pretty surface level idea. Um, and it's really frustrating because there's a lot of really cool stuff in this movie where um, he, there's some good interactions with, I don't know if you know the actor Griffin Gluck, but he's been in a few things. He was in um, a big time adolescence earlier this year. I think he's a really good young actor, but He's the girl's super uptight brother um, who in a funny sequence learns that he's adopted. Um, and it's just this whole thing. And it's really funny. And the Kyle Gallner's punk rockers, like you need to, you need to chill out. You need to smoke so much weed every single day. And then you return later and he's just like high as hell, just like all the food out on the counter. Like he has a girlfriend now. Things are great, great for him. It's really funny because this punk rocker like does these like, <laughs> awful things and like yeah they kind of worked out decently for people um but yeah it's a, the movie is um and the thing i forgot to mention was um so the the punk rocker he is uh when he performs on stage he's known as john q no one knows his identity and the girl has been sending pictures of her masturbating to him in the mail. So oh, yeah, yeah as, obviously as one does so he's getting all the and he realizes it's her and then there's a whole thing going on there and they realize that um, they realize who each other are and they kind of get, they grow uh, closer together. And it's actually pretty sweet. It's not like a, a madcap kind of thing you'd normally see, but um, yeah, I think this movie, it uses a lot of abrasive language in a way that I don't think works for how surface level a lot of its themes are. Um, so, and that's, I think a lot of people like this movie coming out of Sundance. I think it's sitting at hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes and things like that. Um, and I could kind of see why, because I think it's so energetic and it has like almost like a Napoleon Dynamite sense of uh, humor where it's just very, very uh, deadpan and a little bizarre. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those where it just doesn't sit well with me. And, and I think it's it's a little tough to put my finger on it, but I think a lot of it comes back to um, it's just pretty surface level and it's manic pixie dream girl with with a little bit of from a little bit of a different slant kind of thing um yeah it's it's not very well written but i think i do like a lot of the style in it um it's it's such a mixed bag for me it's one of those where it's like i love so much in there there's some really knockout sequences but there's also some things i just don't really really care for in this movie so um it's a weird one but i would recommend people check it out i don't know when it's coming to like streaming or if it's going waiting for theaters but um it seems like it's a hit with other people, so maybe I'm incorrect. <laughs> Who knows? It sounds like it, because just from the description you gave there, I'm not quite sure what this film is meant to be. So is it a comedy? Yes, it's a very, okay. it's a, it's a very dark, I would say, it's, is it a dark? It's probably a dark comedy, because it's just the language it uses. It's just very, very uh, colorful. Um, and it's, it is very funny. There's a couple of good scenes in it where it's basically a romantic comedy if the lead is just a, wastoid punk rocker who's just very 
very antagonistic to everyone he meets. <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's really angry. Uh, I thought it was a little obnoxious at times just because it's just like the editing is so in your face too. And there's a lot of like snap zooms, the things and um, like just the editing tricks where I was like, okay, I see what you're doing movie. I need you to like relax. Like, can you go like 5% down? That would be great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think this is one of those where I think a movie developing a cult following is something that people kind of divert to so easily now where it's like, it's the same thing as when people call a movie gritty. It's like, that's like the only way that people know how to describe a movie. But I do think this will develop some kind of cult audience because it is so in your face and strange that some people will say like, oh, this speaks to me in some kind of way. So in that sense, I think it could be pretty successful down the road, but I just, it, didn't, it didn't really work for me. Yeah, sounds like the vulgar tourists will be all over this. <laughs> probably, probably. Or I don't know. It's so. It's 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 a really just straightforward romantic comedy in that sense. When you take away like the punk stuff of it, so I was expecting. I was like, okay, it's using all of this. Ver- it's using this language. It's very in your face. Like, what is the other shoe going to drop? And it really doesn't. Yeah. It just sounds like it's trying to be edgy. Yeah, it's edgy for the sake of being edgy. Um, Kyle Gallner has this line at one point where it's like. He's talking about a band they're going to open for, and he calls them fucking posers. And he really sells it, but you're like, oh man, like even that line itself is just being a poser, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, it's trying to be edgy, and I don't think that sent that that like that sentimentality is really working for it. So um, yeah, I I think some people might like it. It's just yeah, it's not for me. All right. Uh, is that, that's everything, I think. Yeah. you have any closing thoughts? I guess thank you, Fantasia. <laughs> yeah, Fantasia <laughs> was awesome. Um, like, online film festivals, I'm guessing, aren't going to be the norm. Like, it, this is just like a temporary solution for, you know, while the world's on fire at the moment. But like, if, if this was to happen again, like, um, I even now, like, I would consider going all the way to Montreal for this festival. This was awesome. Like, thank, yeah. thank you, Fantasia, for giving us this opportunity. I agree. I have to talk to my unofficial, official Canadian correspondent, Brennan Dubay, and see what he's up to he's up in yeah, Canada. How, how come, Brennan, how come you didn't cover the festival with us? Brennan! <laughs> I love you, Brennan. Um, but yeah, that about wraps it up for us. So thank you again to Fantasia for all you've done for us. We really appreciate it. And thank you. Until, until next time, you can check out all our content on moviebabble.com and everywhere on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever. Um, So thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.